Welcome to the Latin Tutor Podcast. If your child is struggling in Latin, then look no further. My name is Emma Williams, and I'm here with practical tips and strategies to help you to help your child. Or maybe you're a teacher, wondering about the best approaches to the trickiest concepts in this unforgiving subject. With my 21 years as a teacher of Latin, as well as a private tutor, I've got a lot of experience to share with you. So if you're ready, incipiamus, let's begin. I remember you as Emma Clark, you see, as a, a young, uh, stressed <laughs> teacher. I seem to remember a phone call with you where I might have cried. <laughs> I think you were stressed. David Carter is an independent author who publishes a unique set of study guides to accompany the OCR set texts for both Latin and Greek at both GCSE and A-level. If you're a Latin teacher and you haven't discovered him yet, prepare to be amazed. If your child is struggling with the set texts, especially at A-level, do not hesitate. They're revolutionary. Workbooks aside, David has some radical views on how Latin should be taught and has given me much to think about. I'm not sure I'm convinced, but I'm definitely intrigued. The reason I was so stressed and indeed, as you may remember, thinking of walking out on my subject was the regularity with which they change the set mm -hmm. texts. And that hasn't changed and I've complained about it at every single OCR meet I've been to and it falls upon deaf ears. I mean on A-level it's it's even worse I don't know if you teach A-level very much but I you know they to. now change every two years and there's four books and I, I just I used to write notes and I, I, I thought I thought there's no way I can handle this so I, I had to drop the grammar notes but you're right and it's crazy and I was preparing for the but the AS books for next next time round it's Prokylio pro Tastus Annals 12, Juvenile Satire 6, and Virgil Book 2. And these are the kids who've just finished GCSE, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's insane. I do think we've got to make some representations officially to OCR, that these are completely unsuitable. And they're memorising them, you see. That's the only way they can get through, and they're not actually learning the language at all. And no, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I advocate that because I strongly believe there is no other way that they can get through that exam effectively. Yeah, they, they, they have to. I, I went to, I, I taught at a school briefly. I said, look, you know, you've got to have some sort of language teaching element, you know, in addition to the set books. She just said, look, there's not time in the, in the timetable to do anything more than the set books. So that's all they get. That, that's got to be sorted out, I think. Um, Personally, I think I'd say the first year of sixth form might be just purely on getting the language going in relatively straightforward prose and then maybe go on a set book, something like that. Ridiculous. I mean, I'm trying to do the pro cardio at the moment, and it's really hard. You know, this is university level stuff, and it's just... So anyway, that's another... <laughs> you know, you can sort of moan about that or another. More, more, more information for your blogs, but... Um, uh, that that's there's a big problem there. That's right. A lot, a lot of a lot of these podcasts are, are myself and somebody else just bemoaning <laughs> the state of various things. Um, so, for the uninitiated who who don't know what it is that you do, I would say you you provide life saving support. I've used your workbooks. I've used them recently. I used them when I was a full time teacher. They have been absolutely crucial to me, and I find it puzzling 
actually that more people don't know about them. Um, yeah, what got you started? Basically, back in 2002, I wanted my son to take A-level, okay, when he did another, another boy, and then the teacher left. And then it was up to me to basically put up or shut up. And I was self-employed, so I could do it. So I basically taught them both. And one of the, the other boy got to Oxford and that. So it did all right. And then I got to another school who'd heard about me. And then I realized in those days, this is going back a bit, for A-level, we were using reprints of 1880, 1890 uh, editions, which John Betts in the Bristol class was producing, you know. And these editions, you know, they all assume far more knowledge than you know than the students have today so all the teachers were spending i think as far as i can see spending all their summer holidays writing up notes vocabularies and so on so i thought yep. well look yeah <laughs> so i thought you know you know what might let just one teacher do it so i, I saw this opportunity started in 2006 oh. um back school workbooks and it was all pretty basic boring stuff you know vocab lists translation and so on and the, you know, simple elementary stuff, which really every teacher could produce, but it just takes time. So it does, yeah. And it sort of, you know, went into a business. So I've been doing it since 2006. And I have to confess, I'm not a teacher by training, okay? You know, when I started, I thought, well, I better find out, since I'm in the language teaching business now, I better find out, you know, how to do it. And then you start looking at how modern language people do it. And it's completely different from the way we did it. And you think, well, they can't both be right. So I sort of got into studying modern language techniques in particular, and I found Crash in about 2009, I suppose. <clears throat> so I've been sort of developing my ideas since then, sort of applying it to you know, the classical workbooks. And I used interlinears at the beginning, which put the translation just underneath the, the text. And I've sort of developed that. And I finally got now, I think, to the right layout. It's, it's taken me an awful long time, but... Um, I, I sort of engineer any changes in my own teaching to the books. And, I, you know, I've got, I don't do any advertising or anything, but I've got customers who've been with me since the beginning. And, you know, I guess they get used to teaching that way. But it just saves an awful lot of donkey work, really, I think. And, it does. Um, it really, really does yeah. save a huge amount of work. And I think, and even certainly often what I used to do uh, when I was very willing to give my time in lots of ways, even mm. if I didn't want to use the workbooks, that it was somewhere to start. I think, well, I want to present it slightly differently or I would translate it slightly differently. But to have something that's gifted to you where, like you say, the donkey work is done mm. is an absolute godsend. It, it, it really is. So in your later editions, you almost produce the text twice. So once the real text as it is for the students to fill in. Right. But there's also, like you say, not quite interlinear. There's there's a reproduction of the text where you played around with the word order to make it match the English. Because I know Cambridge sort of they do the same thing, don't they? They but they leave the Latin in the original order, and it's That's a sort right. of a puzzle solving word one, word nine, word six, and you have to sort of jump around. It's interesting <laughs> that because of course the, it, ultimately what we're talking about is how do we get students. <laughs> in the very short amount of time that we have with them, how do we get them to comprehend this text in a short space of time? So how do we get them to link the translation to the Latin? And having done this for 21 years, I have tried so many different methods. The numbering method, which Cambridge favour, I used for a long time and I thought was the answer. And what I realised was students find it a lot harder than you'd imagine. I don't know why, they seem to find it a lot more difficult than I think we as experts might expect I think as experts we look at the numbering and think oh yeah and and it just connects immediately 
to them it's actually very difficult and I, I I ditched the numbering after a while I found it didn't really help them I think the reason is actually you have to give them the sentence as a whole first before they start working out the words inside it and that we we don't do language in words we do it in sentences um so I break it up very much into individual English sentences or mm. Latin sentences. but it's 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 fascinating you know what is the unit which our minds work in it's not words it's phrases or sentences or it's or usually actually it's it's a group of words around a verb is the sort of basic unit as far as i can see of language processing so i think just giving them the words is not enough especially like you say when they don't have the the linguistic experience and the, the skills That's that uh, we're asking of them you're listening to the latin tutor podcast Stay tuned to hear more from David Carter, who can be reached via his website, classicalbooks.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I can be reached, as always, through my website, which is latintutoring.co.uk. Now, at this point in the interview, David starts to explain his hypothesis about how we've been getting it all wrong in Latin teaching and shares his vision of what comprehensible input could and should mean in the Latin classroom. But, trigger warning, you may be pretty surprised by what he has to say. So I was reading some notes before we started and apparently the Cambridge Latin, they were supposed to form their own grammar internally from reading. That's right. And I could have told them, look, fellas, there's no way they're going to develop an internal grammar. They've got to be reading it two or three words a second for the brain to work that out, because the brain is designed to operate at two or three words a second. The key thing is speed. And while I'm going to tell you I don't quite agree with the comprehensible input used by the guys in the States, at least they're speaking it. And when you speak it, the language, you're operating at around rate we're going now, two or three words a second, okay, which is the rate the brain is designed to handle language, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're doing it right because the brain is taking in the language at the right speed. But in our case, of course, we don't. We, we, we give it to them as a puzzle-solving exercise, and instead of doing it at two or three words a second, you know, they're going to, what, I know, four or five words a minute, working it all out. And, of course... You know, no one's going to pick up a language at that rate. Where Latin's gone completely wrong is that we're all we're still puzzle solving and slowing it right down. And it becomes an intellectual construct. So the part of the brain that handles language isn't actually being involved. It's not language teaching at all. But you're getting me ranting now. Okay, so, <laughs> so it sounds like you're an advocate for complete revolution and teaching language uh, Latin as a living language in a completely different way. Well, let's, let's get on to comprehensible input, if we may now, which is why I sort of got in touch with you, because when you were talking with Caroline, you know, she said there was quite a big push from the States for comprehensible input, which they, they're quite keen on, and, and, and we don't really talk about it much over here. But I think, look, let's just define what comprehensible input is, shall we, because so people know, right? And it starts in 1980 or so with a guy called Stephen Krashen, professor of education, and he he comes up with these five hypotheses about language learning. And he says, our brains acquire language when they understand the message. You need, therefore, to give the student comprehensible input. That means, basically, the language going into their heads, the input, 
has to be comprehensible. I understood. So what he says is, look, when you give the students the words, the language, the foreign language, you've got to give them the meaning at the same time. And when that happens, when you do that, the brain will then automatically start to figure out how the language works. Now, in my own case, I, I've used comprehensible input for about eight or nine years now. And there's no doubt from my experience, it does work. You know, the students pick up the language three, four, five times faster. You know, it's, it's, there's no comparison, frankly. The problem is that Krashen was talking to a modern languages audience, right? All the language obviously is spoken because it, these are living languages, right? But it's all conversational and it's 90%, the lesson is conducted 90% in the target language, right? And it's, I know Bob Patrick and Keith Todder and the guys over there, they do this, they speak the entire lesson in Latin and they're conversing in Latin with the students. But this is a step too far for Latin teachers. We're, we're not trained to talk in Latin, okay? And what I'm saying is that the problem with comprehensible input is that this modern language version has taken over as the model for comprehensible input. And it's really not suitable for Latin. And I think most Latin teachers I know look at it and say, look, I can't speak Latin for a whole 90% of the class. It's just not, you know. And I think we're also doubtful whether the register is correct. You know, modern languages are communicative for conversation, right? Well, we're teaching people to read literature, which is, you know, completely Indeed. different yeah. subjects, really. And so I think teachers might doubt whether really, you know, learning, you know, could you give me a cup of coffee or something in Latin is really worth studying. So, you know, what I'm saying is comprehensible input is, and it should be mainstream by now, but because it's only being talked of in this modern languages version, it's it's turning people off. And the reason I wanted to get in touch with you was that, as I say, the method I've used is completely different. Remember, let's go back, comprehensible input. All you're doing is making the language understood. Okay? And as I said in my email and the stuff I sent you, you could do that by just giving them the meaning in English. Yes, because as yeah. I understood that when when Caroline mentioned it in, in passing, her point was they believe that at least 70, 80 percent of the words have to be known to the students. That's but what right. you're saying is perhaps slightly different in that they don't necessarily have to have learned them, but the vocabulary has to be visible at the same That's time. Right. You, you just them. tell them the meaning. What you realise that is if you give them the meaning up front, you can start with Virgil and the real thing from day one. I'll confess I wasn't entirely convinced by David's belief that one could start with Virgil on day one. So at this point, he persuaded me to let him demonstrate exactly how he does it. Are you ready? Here he is. Of war and a man I sing. Arma virum quicano. A man who long ago from the lands of Troy, Troyae qui primus aboris, came to Italy, an exile by fate, and to the Lavinian shores. Italiam fato profugus, Lavinia qui venit litera. Harass much this man, both on lands and on the deep, by the might of the gods above. Multimille teris jactatus eralto, we superum, on account of the unrelenting anger of furious Juno. Saiwai memorem unonis of Iram, and suffering also much in war, multa quaquet bello passus, 
until he should found a city and bring in his gods to Latium. Dum condret urbem inferet qui Deus Latio. The man from whom came the Latin race, Genus undi Latinum, and the Alban fathers and the walls of high Rome. Albani qui patres, at caltae moenia haromae. Okay, so I hand it up a bit, sorry about that, but <laughs> the point is that, you know, remember they're reading the sort of the Latin after me and sort of just mimicking me, right? But it's good fun, you know, and you can do that with a class civ class, for example, who wanted to actually read the, you know, read Latin in the real world, you know, the real thing. Yes, you could. You could give them a flavour of what it sounds like, what it feels like. Yeah. Exactly. To me, it's like sort of, you know, you go to hear a Beethoven symphony or something, okay, and you, you can't, you'd understand it better and appreciate it more if you could read a score or play a, a musical instrument, but just the sheer physical act of doing it sort of as a sensual experience, which is good fun. And I think, you know, what I've realized is that, you know, we could almost introduce people to Latin by reading out this, you know, the Enid and stuff and say, well, if you want to be able to read it yourselves, you know, you can take a Latin course. The St. Albans have got an Abbey study center, okay? And we've done some Virgil days, Ovid day, an Ovid day. I did a Homer day. And this is just for ordinary people who want to come along and just, you know, read some of these things in the original languages. It's the bilingual method of getting making it comprehensible. And anybody can do that. It's very easy to teach. You're not stuck there trying to think about Latin phrases for a whole lesson. It's just very, very easy to teach. So I'm saying that's the version. Bilingual comprehensible input is what Cambridge and others should be looking at. By this point... I guess I was starting to see what might be attractive about David's approach. I should say that by his own admission, he has trialled it mainly with adults. And I can certainly see the argument for hooking your audience in via this method. But as a true believer in the puzzle solving approach to Latin, I wanted to dive deeper into how he takes students from mimicry to understanding. Does he just avoid the grammar altogether? If so, I feared we were going to have to agree to disagree. So I wanted him to explain in more detail exactly how his approach differs from what most Latinists would call reading courses, the approach pioneered by the Cambridge Latin course and mimicked by those that shall not be named. The problem for Cambridge Latin is They've got to get people reading that book at around two or three words a second to get them up to proper reading speed. And they've got to speed it up. But they're never going to do that while it's puzzle solving. And they've got to take a jump and they've got to say, right, we'll give the students the meaning so they can read it at normal pace. And then their brains will start to acquire the language. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm interested because I, I completely agree with what you're saying. My big problem with the so-called reading course method is they have this fantasy. I believe it is a fantasy that it gets students reading more quickly, reading real Latin. I think it gives them the illusion of reading. In fact, what happens extremely quickly is they start to fail because of their lack of vocabulary. So what I did with the Cambridge Latin course, which I did use, is provide the vocabulary on the screen. So whatever the students were doing, 
whatever. They didn't have to keep looking up every single word. They had the vocabulary. But then my view would be all they had to think about was the problem solving. So I'm slightly triggered, if I'm honest, by you saying that you don't believe that the way we should approach Latin is as problem solving, because that's exactly how I believe we should well, approach I think, I think every everyone in latin you know believes that yes it's you know and it's but it's just wrong you see i'm sorry we learn by exposure but what do you mean by giving them the meaning what precisely do you mean by that uh well in this case i say um shall we just try reading some of that I gave you, and then people will have an idea what I'm talking about. Should we do that? Just maybe, just sort of ten seconds or so. Can do. Is that <laughs> is that going to work on a podcast? <laughs> so, have you got it in front of you? I've just got to open it up. Hang on. This is this is the last. I think it's the last story in Cambridge One, right? It is indeed, Phoenix. They, yeah. they go to the you know the uh, Clemens goes looking for Caecilius in the house, and they yeah. finds Cerberus is guarding him. Okay, so now mm. I've rewritten it in what I would, my bilingual comprehensible input, okay? Imagine it's day one, right? No one's with the complete beginners. I want you to be the student and I'm going to be the teacher, okay? Okay. So I'll read out, now a black cloud was coming down onto the land. So you're the student. Read out Yam Nube's Atra. Yours says Atra Nubes. Should I turn it around? Ah, now are you reading on the right-hand box or on the left-hand box? I'll read it on the left-hand box. Should I read the right-hand right? No, box? no, no. Now, look, you see, this is the brilliant Carter method, right? <laughs> the, the original Latin is, is on the right-hand side, okay? That's the I box see. on the right. Yeah. But the students still love these interlinears. So on the left-hand side, I've got the – it's in English word order, and the words are underneath. Oh. So you're getting the best of both worlds here. I've actually got the interlinear – with the latin corresponding to the english word so this is like what you do in the set text but that you exactly, split into exactly. two halves of the booklet yeah exactly I see. But for example what i was worried about I, I wasn't actually printing the real text but now i've got it on the right hand side so okay so now a black cloud was coming down onto the land yam nubes atra ad terram descendabat now a very dense ash was falling yam kinis densissimus incidabat most people of Pompeii now were despairing about their city. Plurimi Pompeiani yam de sua urba desperabant. Clemens, however, was not despairing. Clemens tamen non desperabat. But stubbornly he made for the house because he was looking for Caecilius. Sed obstinate vilam petiwit quod Caecilium quirebat. Okay, well, we'll stop there, okay, just when it's getting exciting. So. <laughs> So you've got to imagine you're the class and they're probably speaking as a group or it might be just individuals, but they know what it means. They're reading it at normal pace and therefore under comprehensible input theory, their brains will now acquire the language. Okay. Now, it's an act of faith because we don't know how the brain does acquire language, but I can tell you that from pure experience, um, they will start learning the language from that. Now, I get all my influence really from the YouTube polyglots. These are people who've gained um, five, six, seven, ten languages. And they'll tell you, learn the language before you study it. And you tell that to a classicist and they have no idea what you're talking about. But basically what I'm saying is you've just got to fill your brain with the language, expose it, 
and it will learn a great deal automatically. And you then go on and start analyzing what we've read and you say, okay, we've done this. You know, let's have a look now at, say, you know, verbs or let's have a look at gerunds and gerundives. Taking gerunds and gerundives as an example, I'd be reading stories which would have gerunds and gerundives in, but I just translate them. Okay. And then after we read about 40 or 50 story, well, stories containing about 40 or 50 gerunds and gerundives, I'd say, right, we need to have a lesson now on gerunds and gerundives. So what I'm saying is they've learned it already and been given the meaning. And when you're, when you're doing the grammar, you're working with stuff they already know. Whereas rather than just walking straight in one day and saying, we're going to do gerundives, and they've never seen one in their lives, here, they're just basically analyzing further what they already know from experience. Does that make sense? It does. And what's so interesting is it is exactly like listening to Caroline, who advocates for the reading method. But what you're saying is that you believe in the reading method, but the the, the crucial bit that you think is necessary is missing, which is from day one, they should be seeing their own language in parallel, demonstrating exactly the meaning, the underlying meaning of the Latin that they're facing. And then you teach them the grammar after that. So what's missing for you is the, the meaning. Yes. And, and Caroline made one very interesting point. She she made, I don't know if you remember while you were talking to her, she said she found reading the Latin texts in Cambridge, the stories, was very helpful for her Latin. Yes, she felt her Latin has improved. It greatly improved. I think you were slightly surprised, I think, I don't know. But the point was that she, I think she came to Latin late and only learnt it at university, I think. So for her, going in and reading the Cambridge Latin stories was perfect, okay, because she knew most of the vocab so she could read through it quite quickly. Yeah, she's now getting up to two, couple, two or three words a second. Her brain is kicking in, and she's actually picking up the language. Okay, yes. and I thought that's that's it. And I, I'm just going to quote something at you because it's this is a guy called Bloomfield who wrote in the 1930s, and he says, "Above all, what is read or spoken should be well within the competence of the learner. Solving puzzles is not language learning." And you see. For her, it was within her competence, okay? But you see, for the students who haven't it's had not. to at the university, it's puzzle solving. You know, mm. you're back to puzzle solving. It's puzzle solving. With respect to this business of the reading method, I don't quite understand when they call it Cambridge Latin the reading method because they're not reading, are they? I mean, they're not reading at the normal rate reading takes place. They're, they're, they're translating, aren't they? Well, <laughs> yes, and... This is what I have always found puzzling about the whole process. The area we've agreed on from the beginning is that the students need to be given the vocabulary up front. Otherwise, they're, they're so slowed down by the process of having to look up the words. That's one of the main problems I find with the, yeah. the system. I would argue that actually I don't think the Cambridge Latin course does encourage problem solving either. I think it clings to the notion that they're just going to magically start reading and acquire an understanding of the language in a way that you're suggesting is possible. Mm. But they also haven't been taught how to problem solve in the traditional way. No, so totally it, it, I think you're right. It sort of falls between two stools. And I, you know, when I looked at it, because I, I read this book by Stephen Hunt, you know, starting to teach Latin, and he calls it the reading method. And I, and I was really puzzled because 
in the further examples he gives, he gives the students working on it, and you know they're they're puzzling it out and trying to work out what's the what does this word mean and what does that word mean. And I thought this isn't reading, and th this is actually grammar translation with the emphasis on the translation. It's you know they've taken out the grammar, but it's translation. Um, so I mean it's still a wonderful book, but they're not reading as you say because the the, the vocabulary the new vocabulary is vast. So. In the real world, we acquire languages just by being exposed to them. You know, you, you go to a foreign country and you just hear people talking. Your brain takes all this stuff in and you find, you know, you're getting phrases and things like that and you get by. I think we do. But I think the problem with clinging to that as the answer is that that is total immersion. When I last went to France on an exchange, I stayed mm. with a family. He was a British lorry driver who had gone over to France age 19, not speaking a single word, and met this rather lovely French girl. And long story short, 30 years later, he was in France and he got to the point where he was thinking in French, dreaming in French, and he had simply acquired it through total immersion. Her English was very poor. Uh, most of her family didn't speak English. And there we go. He just got thrown in and acquired it. But that's not how most of us are going to be exposed to a language we're trying to learn. Is no, it? well, I, I, I'd agree with you. You're not going to learn Latin purely by exposure. No. Okay, but what I'm saying is we're talking about the opening bit. We're, we're talking about first getting a grip of, of a, 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 a story in, in class, in, in class uh, Cambridge Latin, right? And I'm saying, look, you just expose them to the story, okay? You give them the meaning. You read through it at normal pace, okay? Now, after you've sort of broken the, the back of it and they're now understanding what it all means because they haven't gone through this puzzling out process, okay, because you've just given it to them, you know, you can now go into it and start analysing the grammar and looking at individual phrases and so on, okay? But the question you've got to ask yourself is how much is Latin teaching really just brain training? What I'm saying is when you ask them to puzzle it out, you're turning into an intellectual exercise, an exercise in analysis. And, and they shouldn't be doing this at the beginning. They should be just receiving it, being exposed to it. And that way, they'll, their brains will sort of work out quite a bit. But you've then got to formally go through. Do you remember I said about the gerundives, right? Yeah. So, so all the grammar you go through in detail afterwards. But the point is the initially getting into their heads in the first place with the meaning, you do by just doing what I've done here, which is just given the meaning up front. You don't ask them to puzzle it out because that slows everything down, turns it into a conscious analytical exercise, which is just nothing to do with language learning. It's really interesting. I don't have answered your question there. but um... <laughs> And this is certainly the methodology I've always used with approaching the set texts. And mm. really what you're saying is we should apply that whole methodology from day one to everything that students are exposed to. <laughs> to be honest, Emma, I was thinking, you know, I don't want to upset all the listeners, but, you know, there are four skills in languages, aren't there? There's reading, writing, speaking, listening, right? And modern languages, they have to teach all four. Mm. And all we have to teach is reading. Yeah. Is the easiest of the lot. We're still getting it wrong. And we still muck it all up. So, you know, <laughs> things are really bad, you know. And, uh, You've been listening to the Latin Tutor podcast and this marks the end of season two. Many thanks to David Carter for being my final guest of the season and really making me think about what he had to say. 
I'll be taking a break now, but I expect to be back with a third season in a few months' time when I plan to focus on teachers and tutors. So if you'd like to be a guest, please do let me know.